We're starting a new series this morning today called Change Your Life in Three Easy Steps. And as I already said, welcome to everyone who's here. Also, today we start live streaming. So everyone who's watching this on Facebook, on YouTube, wherever you are on our website, welcome to our online e-family as well. Guys, change is not always easy, right? A couple of years ago, we moved to Springs, and we actually have some guests here from Springs today from our old church. We're so glad you guys are here. But we moved to Springs, and there was this little corner cafe that sold milk and ice cream directly from the factory. And it was the most amazing ice cream you could ever imagine. It was so creamy. I don't really like watery stuff. I like creamy stuff. Okay, so I'm not an ice lolly guy. I'm a creamy ice cream guy. And this was the most amazing creamy ice cream. I loved it so much. And it was super cheap. I can't even remember what it was, but it was so cheap. So every week we would go to this little place, go and buy our milk. And then there's a fridge full of ice cream just like staring at you. So I would buy a five liter ice cream. And every week I would finish that ice cream. Plus, every day I would eat a slab of chocolate. Plus, every day I had a pack of chips. So, and that was not my food. Like, I had food at, like, morning, afternoon, and evening as well. So, so I love to eat, okay? But the problem was that eating ice cream, chocolates, and chips every single day, finishing a five liter every week is not very healthy. It's not really good for you. And I don't know if you know this, but they did research, and they actually used rats, but they found with rats that sugar is a lot more addictive than cocaine. I don't know if you've ever heard about that or read about it. You can actually go and Google it. Now there's like little fights about it. But I think it is really addictive. So then I I realized like I have to start eating healthy. I'm getting older. I'm starting to develop my dad's tube. He's going to hate me for this, but that's the truth. And um, so then I had to stop eating all the ice cream and all the chocolates. And it was hard. It is so hard to change something like stop eating ice cream. If any of you ever had to stop eating sugar, you will know it's really hard. And I'm like, if that is so hard to stop eating ice cream, how much harder are things in our life that is really significant, things that really matter? How hard is it not to change to become a better husband or a better father or a better child? How hard is it not to break with, with some form of addiction in your life, something, um, some form of idol, something you just can't let go of? How hard is it not to change? We all have attempted to change, but I think we've all felt somewhere in life That it is a lot harder than we thought it would be. Change is harder than we think it would be. But what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks is, although change is hard, it's not as hard as you think. And we are basically going to be talking about our vision as Prodio Church. We've got a simple vision that you cannot forget. Our vision says this. We are about connecting people to life-changing relationships up, in, and out. Simple as that. Every time you see our logo, you see that triangle, you need to think up, in, and out. That's what I need to have in my life, up, in, and out relationships. And this is, this is why we had what God gave us this vision. We all need some form of change somewhere in our life. But change is hard when it's done on your own, when you attempt it on your own. The moment when we get together, the moment when you have support, think about the gym. It's hard to go on your own. But if you've got a buddy that wakes you up six o'clock in the morning and you're like, dude, where where are you? You're not at the gym. Then it becomes a little easier. It is hard to go on a diet alone. But when you're part of a group of people, suddenly you've got the momentum to move forward. When we change, the most amazing vessel to facilitate change is community, real relationships. 
And that's what we're going to be talking about. Because I believe although change is hard, it's not as hard as you think as long as we've got the right kind of relationships in our life. Because just as right relationships can help you grow, can help you change for the better, ever had some form of bad relationship in your life, it can spiral just as quickly. So we're talking about healthy, about good relationships in this series. And our first, if you want to know, Louis, how can I change my life in three easy steps? The first step that we'll be talking about today is you have to connect to Jesus. You have to connect to Jesus. I think that is the most important first step is you have to connect with Jesus. Why? When we talk about change, why is it so hard? I think we struggle to change because often the thing that we're trying to change is a surface level thing. Well, there's actually a deeper heart condition, a deeper heart problem that's preventing me from changing the little thing on the surface. And that is why I believe we need Jesus. See, Because we've got this thing in our life that the Bible calls sin. Now, sin in the Greek, the word, that, the word sin in the Greek is the word amartia. And that means, literally, they would use it for a spear thrower that would throw at a target. They would use that word to describe it when the spear thrower would miss his target, amartia. He missed the target. So when we talk about sin, what the Greek is literally trying to explain to us is sin is anything that prevents us from hitting the target that God has for our life. The plan, the purpose that God has for your life. Sin is anything in the marriage where it misses the target of God's picture for the marriage. Sin is anything in your life with your children or with your um, with someone else where you miss the mark and you hurt the relationship rather than growing it, rather than encouraging it. And here is why I think we've got a deep heart condition and why sin is the problem. Even sin is sometimes a condition, a little symptom of a deeper condition. This is the problem. As human beings, our very nature is to do what will benefit me. Think, think about corruption. Why do we have so much corruption in South Africa? Because at the moment where someone offers a bribe, the moment someone offers something, the thought process is not, how will this destroy my morality? The thought process is not, how will this damage the country? The thought process is, I can walk out of here and I can go and buy the car that I've been dreaming about. That's the thought process. When you walk in, in the, through the front door after a hard day at work and you're irritated and your wife says something to you and you snap at her, you do that because at that moment your need is to get rid of the frustration, to get rid of the stress. So you don't care in that moment what it does to your relationship. You care about what you want to do at that moment, what will be good for you. You see, sin is this thing where we respond to this this thing deep inside of us where we want to express ourselves, where we want to benefit ourselves, where we want to do what is good for us. I think we struggle to change. The struggle to change is real. And we struggle to change because there is a real struggle within us for what we want more. There's always these two opposing forces in our life. I believe that God not only leads you on the right path, that God not only places good things in your life only when you decide to follow Jesus. I believe that God places good things in your life whether you follow him or not. And we call that common grace. God makes it rain over people who follow him and people who don't follow him. That is why someone even who doesn't follow Jesus, I believe, have this deep sense inside of them that what they're busy with when they're hurting someone else is wrong. It's built in. It's God's common grace. And because of that, deep inside of us, there's always these two voices talking again. The one is saying, do what benefits you. 
Do what feels good to you. And the other side, we've got the voice of God's spirit telling us, don't do that if it's going to hurt someone else. Don't do that if, it's, if you're going to miss the mark that God has for your life. The struggle to change is real because there is a real struggle within us for what we want more. Do I want to obey God more or do I want what I want more? So if you're sitting here today and I'm talking about changing your life in three easy steps and I say the first step is Jesus, why do I say it? Because I believe that we need a voice in our life that is louder than all the voices talking inside of you and saying, do whatever you want. The only way for us to truly change on a heart level is if there is a voice that's louder than all of those. I quickly want to read you something. Galatians 5 verse 17 from the New Living Translation, it says this. The sinful nature, that is who I am, that is my human condition, wants to do evil. It doesn't want to do what is good. I don't want to to submit to my husband. I don't want to submit to my wife. I want to do what benefits me. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The the struggle to change is real because it's a real struggle inside of each of us for what we want more. Do we want to do what the Spirit of God is guiding us, or do we want to do what I want? And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, Louis, I'm not even a Christian, so I don't know what this is about. I want to tell you, I think this is so amazing because you're going to hear what it means to follow Jesus and what following Jesus can actually change in your life. The things you've been struggling with that you struggle to change, I believe it is within reach if you're willing to follow him. And if you say, I've been a Christian my whole life, I've been following Jesus, I'm still struggling or whatever, I believe this message is also for you because it will give you the tools you need to say, how can I take my relationship to a next level where I can actually change? We are not as free as we believe. We are slaves to our own desires, even if they are bad. But we don't need to be. We need a voice that is louder than all our own desires, a voice that will Give us the ability to change. And I believe only Jesus is that voice. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read from John 11. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to John 11. I'm first going to give you a bit of background. John 11, we're not going to read all of that. From verse 1 to verse 44, we read about a man named Lazarus. Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. And throughout the, the New Testament, if you read about the life of Jesus, you will read about Mary and Martha. The same Martha that poured over the oil, the oil over Jesus' feet and then dried it with her hair. You will read about them. Now, this, this family was really close to the heart of Jesus. And then Lazarus died. He was actually sick. So they sent a messenger to Jesus to say, Jesus, come and heal Lazarus. And then Jesus is like, okay, I'll stay two days longer. And then he tells his disciples this. He's like, Lazarus is going to sleep and I'm going to go and wake him up. And they're like, why is Lazarus sleeping? Meantime, Jesus is referring to Lazarus is going to die. And Jesus is going to speak to him in a voice that will change his life forever. So we're going to read today where Jesus stays away for a couple of days. It was only a couple of of kilometers, the city where Jesus was, to Bethany where Lazarus was. But Jesus decides to stay away so that he could change the most amazing thing, something most of us will never experience in this life on earth, so that he could change that in the life of Lazarus. So we're going to read this morning John 11 from verse 38 to verse 44. 
John 11 verse 38. Jesus, by the way, Jesus at this point is now at the grave. Everyone is crying. Jesus is looking at the people. He's crying with them. And he's not crying because Lazarus is dead because he already told everyone he's going to resurrect him. But I think his heart was just breaking for the people, for the pain they were in, for people not understanding who he was. So Jesus in verse 38, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Okay, so he didn't just die, or he, they didn't just think he's dead and put him in a grave, and meantime he was just passed out. This guy is dead. His body is literally rotting. It's disintegrating. There's a stench. It's foul. It's bad. But then Jesus said this, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So he was already, they would wrap them almost like a mummy. They would preserve the body to rot in that way. So he was already in his grave clothes. And then Jesus said to them, take off the grave grave clothes and let him go. That's all we're going to read. The struggle to change is real. Because there's a real struggle within us for what we want more. And our human nature will almost always, always make us go for things that are not good, that's not part of God's plan in the long run. We can't help it because we want to benefit ourselves. We need a voice that can bring us from a place where everything is dark, where everything is dead, to a place of life. Lazarus heard that voice and his life changed completely. He literally went from dead to living. And I'm like, what on earth? Why did Lazarus have this privilege? Jesus, by the way, didn't attend funerals. He was at a funeral three times. One was his own. And every time he goes to a funeral, people are resurrected. That, that was just Jesus. Like, I wish I was like that. I did about 80 funerals in my previous church. Like, the world would have been a different place if I was like Jesus. But I'm not like him, right? But Jesus would go to a funeral and and he would resurrect people. But it didn't happen a lot. Lazarus was one of the very few. And I'm like, what gave, what did Lazarus do? What gave him this privilege of hearing God's voice in such a way of his life? And this is it. If you go and read the whole story, and that's why I said it starts in verse 1. In verse 3, they send a messenger to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Lazarus, and then the one whom you love is sick. The New Living Translation says, Jesus, Lazarus, your dear friend is sick. Now the Greek word there is phileus, and it comes from the word phileo, which means to love or to cherish. So it's, it is like a very intimate friendship. It is like really close. It's not just like, you know, I love all of you. It's like, it's something really intimate. This family, and Lazarus was close to the heart of Jesus. He was an intimate friend. 
And if you want to know why Lazarus could hear the word of Jesus so loudly in his life that he could go from death to life, I want to tell you he heard it because he was a close, intimate friend of Jesus. But here's the more difficult question. If you're here this morning and you're facing some kind of difficulty in your life, there's something you want to break with. There's something that you know needs to change in your life. And you're like, I don't know what I need to do to be called an intimate, close friend of Jesus. I don't know what I need to do. Let's talk about this. What do I need to do? Do I need to be perfect? I think that's what we often think. How do I get to heaven? By doing the right things, right? No, you don't. Because we will always make mistakes. By being perfect? No, you won't. Because we're human beings. We're not perfect. You know who in the Bible was called the apple of God's eye? King David. A king in the Old Testament. You know what King David did? He had a man killed because he had sex with his wife. And then he married her afterwards. That was King David. This guy wasn't okay. He made a lot of mistakes. But he was called the apple of God's eye, not because he was perfect, but because he had a relationship with God that just transcended what we understand about God. You see, I think we have an issue in the Western world, in the church in South Africa, in the church in the U.S., in the church in Europe. And that is that we don't realize we are missing a relationship with Jesus because we are so good at building traditions. We are so good at building structures that we think that equates a relationship. But there is a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Knowing about Jesus is head knowledge. That is like knowing that Jesus could resurrect Lazarus from the dead. But knowing Jesus means that when you are dead, Jesus can come to your grave and call your name and you walk out. The one is knowledge. The one is relational. And there is a huge difference. Just because you sit in church on a Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is a word that means a follower of Christ. Just because you sit in church today in a church service doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a movie theater makes you a movie star. Or sitting in a garage makes you a car. So we're missing out on the power of what God wants to do in our life. We're missing out on the change. Because we're still living off tradition. We're still living off religion. We're still living off knowledge instead of living out of a relationship like in David. He made mistakes. But he had such an intimate relationship with God. His heart was so broken about his wrong decision of saying yes to his own desires. Instead of saying yes to God. Saying yes to the wrong voice. He fell on the ground and he lay there for seven days talking to his father and sorting out his own heart. You only have those deep heart to heart conversations when you really know someone. You don't walk up to a stranger in the street and like, let's sit down. Let's have a deep conversation about the meaning in life. You don't do that. You have those kind of conversations with your husband, with your wife, someone you really have a deep relationship with. You want to know what was different in Lazarus' life? It was because he was called an intimate, dear friend of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're like, but you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know like all the wrong things I've done. You don't know like what I'm, I'm sometimes thinking. You don't know the stuff that's going on on my computer screen. God won't be okay with this. I can never be his friend because it's too much of a stench of odor in my life. I want to tell you, your odor doesn't prevent Jesus from coming to you. 
Lazarus was dead for four days. There was a horrible stench coming from that grave. And they're like, Jesus, don't get close to him, man. He's, he's stinking. He's rotting. He's, he's literally, his life is falling apart. And Jesus is like, roll away the stone. I told you if you believe. I told you if you believe that you will see the glory of God. And God looks at you this morning and you might feel like you're full of, a, full of horrible odor. Just this odor coming off of you because of the things that you, the decisions you make in, the, in your life. The things you say yes to. All the wrong things you've done. All the addictions that you have. All the sin that you can't break with. But Jesus is saying, I am bigger than the stench, the odor in your life. Jesus takes the initiative. He doesn't roll away the stone. Although Lazarus is thinking, roll away the stone. Because I'm going to bring change to his life. In Romans 5, verse 8 to 10, Paul writes about this. Lazarus was called a friend of Jesus. And the question is, what did he do to become a friend of Jesus? David was called the apple of God's eye. What did he do to be called, to be given that name? And Romans tells us what they did. And this is what Romans says. It talks about God. It says God demonstrated his love for us. You see, God's love for us is not a theory. There's a lot of theories in the world that's often given as absolutes. But as long as the word theory is standing in front of something, it means it's an idea that someone has. It's not actually proven. But what what Paul is writing is God's love for us is not a theory. It's not something that theologians process. It's not something that pastors have a conversation about. They're like, listen, let's talk about what what God's love really is. Does he really love us? Does he not? Does he care about our odor? Does he not? He says, this is a given because God has demonstrated his love. The experiment was done. And it proved successful. God physically demonstrated his love. And he says, how? By Christ dying for us while we were still sinners and enemies of God. You see, while we were still had a horrible stench, while we still decided to pick our own desires, even though he destroys our life, even though he destroys our marriages, even though he destroys our finances, while we were doing that, Jesus already died for us because his love for us is so much greater and so much more amazing than we can ever imagine. If you're sitting here today and you're like, Lou, what do I need to do to earn the title of a friend of God? What do I need to do to earn the title of the apple of God's eye? This is what you need to do. This is what you need. You need the love of God, full stop. That's what you need to do. You need to say, God, thank you for your love. Elastic wasn't perfect. David wasn't perfect. But they lived, they enjoyed the love of God so much. It's like someone lying on the beach in the sun and just like soaking it up. And I imagine them just like soaking up goodness and the beauty and the love of who Jesus is. God already proved this love to us. You don't have to reason this out. You don't have to figure out if you're good enough. You don't have to figure out if Jesus actually loves you. He's like, he's already proved it. And this is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about God is knowing that at some point in history, Jesus died on a cross. That, by the way, is a fact that you can go and research through the literature of the Romans that didn't believe in Jesus, but they were like, something crazy has happened here. And we can't find the body and people are freaking out. It's a fact. That's knowing about Jesus. 
But knowing Jesus, something changes that we can't always describe. But something changes inside of us where we go from, I know that Jesus 2,000 years ago died on a cross to this intimate knowledge and feeling that Jesus died for my sin. That I'm not a slave to my mistakes. That I'm not a slave to these voices in my head. That I'm not a slave to my computer screen. That I'm not a slave to my addictions. That I'm not a slave to a, to a broken, bad marriage. Because Jesus has already paid for everything in my life that's gone wrong. He's already paid for every bad decision that I have made and that I will make. Because He was so perfect. He's the Son of God. That He just wiped it out. Knowing about Jesus is, is knowing that it, knowing Jesus means that you know that it was for you and then responding to that in love. You're here this morning and like, but, but do you, what does it actually change in my life? I want to say it changes everything. Just as it did for Lazarus. Lazarus walked with Jesus. He dies. In a grave, rotting away. And despite his bad over, odor, despite the bad things he's done, Jesus is like, take that stone away. I think we read this most amazing, amazing verse where Jesus calls in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. What would have happened if Mary or Martha called Lazarus, come out? Nothing. What would have happened if one of the Jewish leaders that were gathered around them that had an issue with Jesus as always. By the way, after this episode, that is when they decide it's finished. We're going to kill Jesus now. What would have happened if they called out the name of Lazarus? Nothing. And I want to tell you the changes that you cannot make in your life. The brokenness that you're facing. All this bad stuff that you've tried to change and you just can't change. The problem might be that you're still trying to call your own name. That you're still trying to call yourself out of death. It won't happen. The problem might be that you hope that some form of book about enlightenment or about the universe is going to call you out of that. It won't. It might be that you're hoping that a friend or that a, that a relationship you're entering into or that a husband or a wife is going to pull you out of it or a new child that's going to be born is going to pull you out of your crisis. But no other voice could save Lazarus except for the voice of Jesus. The biggest change we can ever experience in life is moving from death to life. What feels like death in your life this morning? I've named a couple of things. Maybe your marriage feels like death. Maybe it feels black and it feels dark and it feels broken and it feels cold. Maybe your relationship with a child or relationship with a parent. Maybe it's that addiction, something you're doing. And this is addiction, by the way. It's something we do to escape the reality we're facing in life. It's not just alcohol. It's not just drugs. It can be social media. It can be overeating. It can be anything. It's the things we do to escape, to avoid the realities of life. Maybe it's that addiction. You know what your brokenness is. Maybe it's not even that hard. Maybe you're like, I, nothing in my life feels like that. I had a conversation with someone last week, and maybe this is you, where they said, our lives are so average. 
Everything is the same every day. Their life feels like death to them. It's not flourishing. It's not going anywhere. Maybe you feel like that, like you're going through the same loops over and over. You're trapped in this dark hole and you're not going anywhere. What feels like death to you this morning? Jesus wants to bring new life. You know what that means? It means that he gives us a clean slate, that he gives us a fresh start. For Lazarus, this was like the reset button. He was dead. He was in a grave. Jesus calls him out. That is like a fresh start. It's like, go and live your life again. Go and love the people you struggle to love. Go and ride the roller coaster that you never did. Go and have fun. Go and enjoy life. And God says, like, everything that when we decide to, to follow Jesus, when we decide to respond to his voice, he's like, everything that kept you back, everything that put you in the dark hole, that is behind you. You don't have to carry it with you. You don't have to hold it against yourself. You're forgiven. It's behind you. But it doesn't just put it behind us. Who wants to bring something new into our life. John 10 verse 10, the Bible says that Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance. And life in abundance, by the way, doesn't always mean financial abundance. It doesn't mean you're going to be rich and you're going to have the fanciest car. Because some of the most wealthiest people in the world are some of the poorest people in the world. Because when you die, I can assure you today, and I've been next to enough people like breathing the last breath to tell you, no single person has ever spoken about their money or about their stuff before they died. Jesus promised a life of abundance. He's like, he, he called out Lazarus. He gives him a, a new start. And then he says this. He tells them, take off the grave clothes. Put something new on him. Give him a new identity. Give him a new Something to live for. Give him purpose. Give him a plan. Give him joy. God wants to wipe out what's behind you. Corinthians and Corinthians, Paul writes about that. He's like, what is all this behind us? We're in a new place now. But then Jesus says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you here on earth a life of abundance. I want to fill you with joy. I want to fill you with purpose. I wanna plan, I've got a plan for your life. I want to send you somewhere. But there's a third thing that Jesus does. He doesn't just save us from our past. He doesn't, doesn't just give us abundance here and now. But he also wants to give us hope for a future. So I think this is something we're often missing. And, and, and there's kind of like two approaches to this. I don't want to ask you today, what happens to you when you die? One of two things are going to happen. Either you're going to say, like, I don't really think about it. Or you're going to say, I'm really scared about it. But the reality is, soon... Either Jesus is going to come back or you and I will die. And when I say soon, if you're older than five years old, you will know that life is short. In a couple of weeks, my daughter is a year old. It feels like she was born two weeks ago. And, and, and age isn't a requirement for death. Most of the people that I've done funerals for, most of the people that I've buried were between the ages of 40 and 60. Not old people. I've done a funeral for a seven-month-old baby and for a 97-year-old lady. And if they could speak, both would say the same thing. 
Life is short. Jesus doesn't just wipe away our past. He doesn't just give us abundance in this life. But he wants to give us hope for a future. Just before he raises Lazarus from the death, Martha runs to Jesus and, and talks to Jesus about all this craziness that's going on. And in, in John 11 verse 25, Jesus says this to her. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is literally saying you cannot die if you believe in me. And they're like, but there's people dying all around me. It's because Jesus is saying there is life and then there's a life after this life. This is what Jesus is basically saying. He's like, this is your, this is your life. This whole book, this Bible with a lot of pages. And your life on earth is this little one. This one. You're like, no, it should be 80 because I'm going to grow 80 years old. No, no, 80 can fit maybe on, 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 a, on a dot on this page compared to eternity. Jesus is like, if you believe in me, even if you die, could Jesus still do miracles and raise someone from the dead today? Yes, he can. But even if he doesn't do it, When you close your eyes on this planet, there is a life after this one. And it's either a horrible life separated from God. Or it's a life in the beauty of God where the Bible says there's no more agony. There's no more tears. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And Jesus says, this is the way to it. Believe in me. And he gives her this choice. He says, but you, Mary, you have to make the decision. And she responds. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. Or Martha. What about you? Auntie Manuel. What about you? Are you tired? Are you weighted down by stuff in your life? Feel like you're barely alive? Do you feel like you're in a spiral of the same things? Do you feel like you can't change? Are you afraid of dying because you don't know what's waiting for you after this life? You feel like you're just barely scraping by. Are you tired of traditions? Are you tired of religious games? Are you tired of just sitting in church on a Sunday? Are you tired of just knowing about Jesus? Are you tired of trying and trying and nothing actually changes? There is an answer. And that step is not as hard as you think. You don't have to be perfect. The answer is Jesus already proved On the cross that he has more love for you than you can ever imagine. And all he wants from you is that you would respond to that. He just wants you to be able to to call him your friend. We just sang about that. Where do we need to be instead of calling Jesus the one we learn about in church? What does it take to call Jesus my friend? God wants you to move from a place where you look at him as a far far away God that doesn't really care about you. To a place where you call him your dad, your father. He just wants you to, to call him your savior. He wants you to call him your hope. He wants you to call him your joy, your peace, your purpose. He already offered it to you on a silver plate. It's like just... Respond. 
It's the easiest life change you will ever experience. It wasn't cheap for God, but it's free for you. Going from death to life is as simple as this. Verse 43. This is how simple going from death to life is. Okay. Jesus called in a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. And he walked out. A dead man walked out. And no matter what's going on in your life, you can walk out of that today. But just responding to the voice of Jesus that's already shouting in your life. He's already, the book of Revelation says, knocking on the door of your heart. He just wants you to respond. Jesus is calling out your name. Will you come out of your grave? Without Jesus, I believe that true life change will always only remain a light at the end of the dark tunnel. It will be this light that you're looking at and that you hope to achieve, but you're just never going to reach it. So while you're strapped in darkness, that light will always be looking at you. will always be staring you down. With Jesus, it's like walking out of that grave into the light and seeing the sun for the first time. Calling your name. Will you come out? Let's pray. Jesus, I don't want to know about you. I don't want to know that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus died on a cross. I don't want to know that my parents worshipped a God named Jesus. I want to know you. I want to call you my friend and I want... I want to hear you calling out my name and calling me your dear, beloved friend as well. And it's so simple. All we have to do is respond to your voice this morning and give a step forward saying, yes, I want to walk out of the darkness in my life. Thank you for your amazing gift of grace. Thank you that although we are sometimes stinky, that you adopt us as your sons and daughters, that you put new clothes on us.